welcome back to on the record on this special episode we are talking about women in leadership so we interviewed professor chad julie carbolo and female students right here at north central college who are in leadership roles coming up soon We are going to start off with asking Dr. Todd and Julie a couple of questions about women in leadership. So first of all, we wanted to ask you guys, what inspired you to be a leader and have that ambition? So hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited about the topic and and uh, and the questions. And so I, when I was thinking about this question, um, it, it gave me some pause because I don't know that I ever like made a conscious decision to do it. I think as particularly as young girls, we're not conditioned that those that, that that's what we should be striving for. And the positions are not always put into our laps or, or, or suggested to us. And so, you know, to be perfectly honest, it wasn't until I was um, like six or seven, maybe even seven or eight years into my time at North Central, when I started um, being asked to do some, some roles with the faculty, sort of leading some initiatives and, and helping facilitate some of the curricular changes. And I, I remember being very hesitant, like, can I do this? Am I do I have the skill set? Will people listen to me? Will they take me seriously? Um, and it was honestly not until I did it and I realized that I was actually really good at it. And I was um, using my skill set as a political scientist in ways that I didn't think would be useful, but ended up being like really helpful um, that I sort of tapped into those parts of myself that I've tried to cultivate in others, but never really tried to cultivate in myself. Um, and so since then, when I've talked to others who've said, you know, I appreciate that you took those initiatives because now I feel like I can do it. Um, that's what keeps me doing it is and trying to help and others help facilitate that in others. And so now the ambition to keep leading is so that is the role model effect. Like we talk about in political science, like if you see someone else doing it, who looks like you or, or who you connect with, then you feel like you have the ability to do it too. And so that's what continues to keep me, keep me striving. And I would say, similar to Suzanne, as I was reflecting on the question, I don't think there was a moment where all of a sudden I realized this was what I was doing. But as I would see different needs, then I wanted to be a voice for what to make sure that somebody was noticing these needs and that they were being addressed. And as I reflect back in, in um, college, several faculty members encouraged me to do different things. So they encouraged me to run for student body president. I was like, I would never do that. And then they encouraged me to do it. They helped me start that process. And then, um, you know, I enjoyed it. I found that I had a skill set where I could help be a voice for people. And then my started my career as a high school teacher working with students with learning differences. So uh, trying to help them get, develop compensatory strategies and more importantly, make sure that we were student ready and help, you know, prepared to help them learn in the best way. So I think I often am inspired by trying to level the playing field for people um, and use my influence and skills and voice to try to to help do that. And that's what helps keep me doing it too. I love watching leaders develop among our students on campus. And I like finding people who don't see leadership skills in themselves and helping them blossom in that area. So um, the next question is, how would you define your leadership style and is it different from your male colleagues? You know, it's sort of strange because similarly to how I kind of fell into leadership, it's, you know, I'm not, 
I haven't studied it. I don't really know what the kind of different models are. And so, you know, our lead program is amazing at teaching those skills and helping people tap into like, what are their strengths to develop that? And I think what I've discovered over time, which is actually quite gendered is that I'm a consensus-based leader, which is a, which is a good thing, which we know strategically like works, but it's also specifically tailored and, and sometimes gendered to gendered because since women are not often in those positions or those who identify as women are not often in those positions. And when they do get into those positions, they feel like they have to work so much harder and try so much harder to prove to everyone that their idea is one that the, that people should follow. And so often it's this relentless quest for consensus, which can slow down things sometimes and, and, and create some, some log jamming. But I still really believe that trying to get people on board as opposed to sort of saying, this is what we're doing provides a better result. Everyone's voices feel heard. Everyone's lived experiences feel amplified. They feel part of collectively part of the process. So that works for me, I think both as a woman, but also as somebody who, as a, as a teacher, as a professor who really wants to create spaces where everyone feels ownership over the process. And so I think I lead similarly among faculty, um, because typically these, this is where my leading happens is with other faculty members. Um, and so I don't know that I would say that that's always different from my male colleagues um, because I think consensus-based leadership is popular, but I I think that we're, well, we know the research tells us that we're more likely to see consensus-based leadership with women as opposed to men, mostly because um, men sort of enter with, particularly white men enter a space um, with authority without earning the authority. And so those of us with, with that, that, that have certain minoritized identities have to earn that. And often that's done through building consensus. I think that my style, I would view with people that I'm working with, I would view as a coach and as, you know, part of a team so that I want everybody again, just like when you're on an athletic team, everybody's trying to achieve the same goal and to be the leader who's going to help the group do that. So I also want some buy-in and consensus. And I ask people, tell me what I'm not thinking about here. What, like, what's, what's an obstacle with this here? Because I enjoy the, I don't, I benefit from other people saying, have you thought about this? Because I am someone that has an idea and wants to run with it. And I benefit from somebody who is like, slows me down a little bit and helps me think through. So it's a better quality um, approach. Um, And one of the other things I think I do as a leader is really try to see the other person's perspective and to understand like if, if I'm thinking that there's a different approach or a different way we should be doing something to really try to understand why they don't see it that way so that I can better come up with a way that meets both of our, like makes both of us feel like we're moving in that same direction. And in terms of, I don't think it's different. I think there are some male colleagues who lead in the same way that I do. So I think it varies for, for, um, I think it varies whether, I don't think the males all lead in one certain way. I think I've seen it among men in our leadership positions on campus. But I do think that I have like a, more than some males, an awareness of people's emotions and motivations and vulnerabilities that I try to, you know, incorporate into Um, the way that I approach uh, interactions with them and trying to move things forward with them in a way that uh, sometimes I don't see other people do, including male family members of mine and their approaches to relationships with other people. So um, I think that would be one difference that I see. 
All right, thank you so much. The next question I want to ask is, what have you found to impact women's ability to lead? I, I like and hate this question, right? Because the sort of the underlying thing is that it's harder for women, right? So I like hate that question, but also love it because it's like a question we need to ask. It's something we need to explore. So. You know, there's a lot of different ways to answer this question. The academic in me wants to like spout scholarship and tell you all the things. And so, but that's for, for classes. But what I would say just as, as someone who tries to help mentor leaders is actually, we talked about this in one of my classes this afternoon is it, girls, especially are not told that they should lead. They're not told they can lead. And they're also not told that if they do, that they will be successful. Right. And so I think there's that line between understanding if you have a marginalized identity, that things are going to be harder for you. Leadership is going to be more challenging. So like that has to be recognized, but also you have to have someone that tells you like, yes, that will be harder for you, but you can do it. And you will have people who will be allies and advocates for you along the way that will help you with that. And that starts when kids are little, like I have two daughters that are 10 and seven and my 10 year old's been on student council for a couple of years. And which I love because I she wanted to do it on her own. And I feel like I have to be the one to keep telling her because she was the only girl that ran in her class this year. She was worried the boys were going to win. Well, you got to try anyway, right? And But also recognize it might be a little more challenging. And so I really think that it starts when when girls are, are young and then if they don't necessarily have that push as they get older and think about maybe potential opportunities, um, that it's some someone, mostly an advocate that can then that can mentor them and then also tell them like, I'm going to help you figure out how to do this and then let them do it on their own. Um, so I think there's sort of like multiple steps with 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 that process that can make it particularly challenging for for girls and women. I think um, I agree with Suzanne that it. I think it does start when people are very young. And I think one benefit that I had was that I, I am one of five children and we're all born within six years. So very close in age, um, two brothers who were very strong personalities. And and so I learned on an everyday basis of negotiating a lot of that, which I um, think helped me. And I was, I'm fourth of five. So I had two older sisters and my oldest brother and sister were so competitive. And I learned a lot from my older sister who was certain that she could over out it, uh, overachieve uh, any goal that my brother was trying for, she would, wanted to do as well. So I do think that benefited me a lot as a younger person, but I did have two teachers in high school try to discourage me from being so assertive on different things, on student council and things like that, which I thought was really interesting. And I remember saying that they would not say that same thing to uh, my brother. So I think there are some perceptions like that, but I think um, opportunity matters a lot. And I have benefited as I reflect from people encouraging me to pursue opportunities. And that has been from a seventh grade teacher I can remember to high school teachers to college professors who encouraged me to do research with them. And I turned them down and they still encouraged me. And those opportunities really made a huge difference in my life. And that influences the way the students that I work with know I am uh, always encouraging students to try different things and seeing their the benefits. So I think the opportunities and the mentors of people that will, and mentors who will have crucial conversations with, with me, that was very helpful to give me the feedback that I, not just all encouragement, but um, you know, crucial feedback that was beneficial to my growth. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing those wonderful stories. We also wanted to know about some ways that you 
people could uplift and empower young people, particularly those with marginalized identities, to gain more opportunities for leadership roles. Thanks, Tavi. Um, I don't know. As an academic, we're always learning, right? We want to learn. We want to ask tons of questions and learn everything. And I think that this is one of those opportunities for any of us who mentor young leaders is to know what you don't know, right? Like I know my lived experience and I know what scholarship tells me about what other people's experiences are based on what that, you know, what we, what we've read and what we've studied, but I will never know what it's like to inhabit someone else's experience. And so for me, providing spaces for those who are not like me to tell, to not to burden them with like teaching me about them and all of their experiences, but to really engage with them to say, okay, so tell me about you and, and, and what it's been like for you. So I know how to best support you and provide a space where you feel like you can come to me, even if we don't share similar social identities, but you feel like you have an ally and an advocate who really wants to understand you and how to help you with whatever, whatever type of leader you want to be, whatever you want to achieve. And that starts with really listening, right? Like whatever worked for me, what worked for Julie, what works for you, isn't going to work for everyone. And that myth of the monolith is something that we have to get rid of in so many ways. So I, what I, what I try to do and what I suggest for others who want to cultivate young leaders is to provide a space to just listen to who are, who are these young people so we can connect with them and then give them the best possible advice. And that includes being like, you know what, let me do a little more research on what maybe is, would be the best strategy for you or path for you in this instance, because I don't know all of the answers because I know what worked for me doesn't work for everyone else. And so sometimes knowing what you don't know and doing some digging to try to help um, is, is, I think one of the steps of the process, but even before that is just providing a space where someone feels like they can come to you and you'll listen and you'll learn from them. I agree with everything Suzanne said. And I, and I also think that I find uh, myself spending time helping students understand the value of pursuing leadership opportunities because uh, many of the students are so busy with family responsibilities and part-time work responsibilities and wanting to really be successful in school. So I'm focusing on my classes, I'm focusing on my classes, but to understand the value of trying a leadership opportunity. And so one of the things I think that can be beneficial on our campuses if we have a variety of leadership opportunities, some that are a minimal time commitment, but are still leadership opportunities, because some things are a big time commitment and it's not realistic for many people. Other things are not a fit with the way they, you know, that, that somebody has said to me, I don't want to wear a red shirt and jump around on the stage, you know, like that's not, but so there can, you don't, there's lots of ways to be a leader without being, you know, the most gregarious person in the room. So I think providing a lot of different opportunities and maybe some short term, like we're seeing now in the, um, internship field where there's micro internships. You don't have to agree to be a leader for a year. You could be a leader for a project. And so we have this two month project and the time commitment would be about this amount. So I think that um, I would like to see, I like to spread the wealth. So I like to look at students who I haven't seen in leadership positions and try to encourage them to try some of these things. Because I think sometimes certain people can have multiple high profile leadership positions. And I would like to see more students have the opportunity to take on some of the leadership um, experiences. So I guess the providing opportunities for students and making students aware of the value of those opportunities and encouraging students, not just, not just putting up a poster on campus and saying, here's a leadership opportunity, but asking every faculty member to 
to find three people that they think would be a good fit for that who aren't currently in leadership positions. Say you were to go back and meet yourself back in college, what advice would you give yourself if you were in college again? Thanks, Gray. I love I I love and hate this question because the same thing to Fred because I'm like I. I, I wish that I could go back and tell myself this because I think my life could have been a lot easier in some ways. Um, I think what I would go back and tell myself now is that you're going to be okay. And I know that sounds so cliche. I get it. I'm saying it and I'm like, like, I know it sounds cliche, but you're going to be okay. And even when you don't think you're okay, you're still going to be okay. And I wish that I would have realized that the that the path to get wherever you're going is, is um, it's going to be challenging and you know, it's going to be challenging and you're, you're sort of uncertain about what the challenges are going to look like. And it's scary and yeah, it's scary. But I, I say, I say this particularly to the young women that I mentor that like, it's also super empowering. And so the terrifying and empowering come together. And I wish that I would have, I wish I could go back and tell myself as I was leaving college and going on to my next step, like, you're going to be so scared, but God, it's going to feel so good. Right. Even when you're scared, when you're in it and it feels uncertain, it's going to feel so good and you're going to be so proud of yourself. And I, I wish I could go back and, and, and sort of feel that as I was going through it. And that it is so true. And I would say um, very similar that it's all going to work out. You don't have to have everything all figured out right now. I think students feel a big pressure that I need to know exactly what I want to do when I leave here, even though we know that people follow many different paths. Um, so I would say similarly, trust the process. You're where you meant. You're where you're. You meant. You're meant to be. The struggles are building your resiliency, so they're a part of what you need to go through to become the stronger leader and the stronger person that you are. And uh, my faith is really important to me. So the same thing that I tell my own three children who are in their twenties right now: uh, God has a plan for you. You you are going to be fine. You're going to, there's a plan for you. The struggles are meant to be, the successes are meant to be, and just always keep putting your best foot forward and the cream will rise to the top. Thank you so much. So the now is, so they are brand new and Suzanne Chad is the director for it. So we are a campus action network. So I know that the words are kind of specific. It's mostly because the chapters are like within the community level and this is specifically through like the colleges and like high schools and stuff. So we're specific to um, our, um, she offered the idea that I started my own campus action network on our school campus. And so like walking away from that, I was kind of nervous because I've never really held like such a high position or I've never made a club before. Um, I'm a treasurer for Breakaway here on campus, but that was the extent of what I've done um, so that was kind of scary for me. So walking away from it, I was just like, I'm not sure this is really cool. And I really want to be a part of something like this, but I wasn't really sure how to approach it. And then that's when I was part of Dr. Chad's class. Um, it was the American political system. And we did our whole, um, amend, um, Netflix series. And so my group specifically did LGBTQ rights and that was really moving for me, but, I tried to watch all the episodes as I went along before our classes even started, just because a lot of that stuff means a lot to me and it really makes me think. So that inspired me to then save that last immigrant episode um, for class just so that I could really be immersed in it. And 
it made me so emotional. <laughs> like going through that thing, I bawled my eyes out. I was, I'm very empathetic um, to a lot of different people. And so that really inspired me to um, do this. But Dr. Chad walked up to me and asked me how I was going to be involved. How am I going to use that passion to move forward? And so that's when I decided, um, well, Laura had talked to me just a month ago about um, starting a chapter here on campus. And that was the way that I can do it. That's the way that I can use this outlet to really help other people and help myself and use this outlet as a place to put my passion. This has been a fantastic outlet to be able to to use what I want to do and really just funnel all my passion to this. So that's kind of what I've been doing. What inspired you to be part of this and to find this on campus? Elaborate more. Yeah, of course. So NOW is an intersectional feminist grassroots organization that really advocates for equality for all people, no matter race, gender, sexuality, all of the above. We just believe that we want everyone to feel welcome in this movement. And here on campus, our goal is really to just promote intersectional solutions um, just to the problem that we all face. Um, honestly, being able to all work together and be a united front in a lot of the issues that we deal with, we're dealing with them every day, just to have a community where we can um, really just put a magnifying glass over the things that aren't going so well and demand for change. That's really what's been most important with developing this club. Thank you so much. Okay, I wanted to ask, um, do you have any mentors on campus or somebody who makes you think about to become a leader on campus? Yeah, so um, first I really just wanted to dive into um, what got me to be a leader in general. So um, I've been a lifeguard for the past three years, and that has been the job that I've really poured everything into. As I said before, I'm a very empathetic person. So this type of job is very emotionally damaging in a way. And so um, my boss, um, she recently got this position. We both started working at the same time. So I've been there about three years, and she started at the same time as me. She didn't really know much that was going on at our facility specifically. So we were both kind of just a deer in the headlights learning together. I was learning everything and she was just learning to be a manager of our facility. But um, basically we've kind of grown with each other. As I learned more and more skills, um, I kind of picked off of her leadership skills and that really like kind of forced me into the position I am now. Now I'm a pool manager at our facility and she's the one who told me to even take that position because she said, I see a lot in you and I've seen how you've grown and you really care about this job. And I wasn't going to do it myself. I never thought that I'd be able to take that position. I, I never had a female um, leader over me. Um, and so she really just inspired me to take that leap. Um, as for what happened with now, I mean, I wasn't really like I was kind of told to do this I was it was kind of just like given to me so I've just been kind of taking everything that's given to me um because I never saw it in myself but all of these people around me really see it in myself and that's what inspires me to keep going and hopefully encourage other people to do it as well so um just by having her believe in me and other people along the way like Professor Chad she's really helped out in this process as well um so 
I'm just taking everything I can get and I'm just learning and picking things from the people that have helped me along the way. Thank you so much. That was super enlightening. Uh, we wanted to ask you, what are some challenges that you might have seen or know about that women face here on campus? Yeah, so that's, <laughs> it's intense. So I feel like some of the challenges that women face is definitely a lack of access to resources, anywhere from knowledge of abortion op options on campus, all the way to access to period products in the residence halls. Those are a huge issue that a lot of people deal with that a lot of people aren't so aware of, um, but it could be an issue for someone and not an issue for other people. So by really leveling the playing field, I think that's really important and it shouldn't be seen as a luxury and we should have access to all these resources in order to have full autonomy of our bodies. So, and also I think it'd be very ignorant of me to not bring up the ease of feeling safety on a college campus, especially with, um, all of the how common assault is in our age group specifically, and now really prioritizes giving a voice to survivors in any way um, that we can. And a lot of our upcoming events are really revolving around this in light of all of the things that are happening on campus. So we want to make sure that we're giving a voice and we're providing support um, in any way that we can. So that stuff's very important to me and a big reason why I decided that I needed to to start this club as well. So um, making sure that we give a voice to our survivors and also providing resources to everyone um, possible. That's really what we're aiming to do here. Thank you so much for your time, Katie. And then Lauren is a student here on campus who is writing a research project about women in the sports industry, specifically about why women don't become coaches at, at the same rate as men who become coaches. So Gray is gonna ask the first question for Lauren. So for your project, can you talk about your project and what are you finding in your research so far? Yeah, so currently I'm in a class with Dr. Chad um, called Scope and Practice. And essentially um, we identify a question that we would want to explore so the question that I am researching right now is how does a female athlete's experience during their sports career affect their ambition to want to coach after their career? Um, so as of right now, I think the most shocking statistic for me was that um, women are severely underrepresented within male um, sports because it is a male dominated um, sport world, I guess. Um, so women make up less than 3% of all of the um, leadership roles in all of male athletics. So just going through the research right now, um, there are a ton of barriers that are preventing women from getting into these leadership roles, feeling like they can get into these leadership roles. And what I wanted to research was, is there something specific that is getting them to not want to participate and coach? Is there something specific that was steering them away from wanting to coach and take that avenue? Um, and the answer is no, there's not something specific that's happening within their own career um, that they experience with a different coach. Um, but it's these barriers that are put in front of them where it makes it 10 times harder for them to even break into the industry. And then when they are in that institution, they face so many other barriers and backlashes, um, and they just have to work 10 times harder than their male 
peers. Thank you so much. I wanted to ask, what is your connection to this project? I'm on the women's soccer team here at North Central, and I really didn't get involved um, with a bunch of research until I took my women in politics class with Dr. Child last semester. Um, so through that class, we talked about one section where um, we took a lens and examined why female candidates weren't running as often um, when we see it through the data that they win just as often as men do when they do decide to run. Um, so looking at through a political aspect, I wanted to then connect that to my own experience as an athlete and see why we weren't seeing women in leadership roles in athletics as well. Um, so I've had a leadership role on my soccer team and really just as I've been going through the research, I haven't noticed a lot of these barriers that I have personally faced until I did the research and saw that this was a barrier that I was facing because I was a woman. Um, and then there's also barriers that um, when we discuss intersectionality and um, marginalized identities, um, we get into all those barriers as well, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but yeah, that is my personal connection to this project. Yes, and, and speaking of which, you mentioned a little bit about the barriers, barriers that either you have faced or that you have done through your research know that other women have faced. So we wanted to ask you, what are some barriers that women have faced in your research? So there's a lot. A couple of them are the male privilege because it is a male dominant workforce and a male cultural culture is present. So a lot of times women feel very uncomfortable within this culture because one, they don't have um, a good support system around them of people who look like them. Um, there's also disproportionate constraints. So women are constrained in their career choices, behavior and communication. Um, so this can be anywhere from traditional family role orientation where they feel like they have a certain role to fulfill. So a gender role um, such as being more feminine, which um, in turn kind of means they feel like they need to take care of the house, uh, take care of the children, whereas that does not normally fall on the responsibility of the male. Um, so a female doesn't feel like she can accelerate in her career or maybe go as high up because she's worried about what's going on at home. Um, another barrier would be hostility within the work environment. So inappropriate touching, inappropriate comments that they face from their male peers. Um, and males are also able to, they're given the space to be passionate, to get angry, to be competitive when it comes to coaching, which is essentially, you need that to be a good coach. But if a woman does that, she's seen as a dragon lady or other negative labels that come with that connotation of being um, aggressive, angry, but that all comes with being competitive, which you want in a good coach. There was also um, inconsistencies with lack of respect. So often women have to overqualify themselves and um, in order to earn that respect, whereas a male is, isn't questioned as often. A lot of times women don't have the mentorship or the scholarship for people to back them up and say, hey, you can do this. This is a path that you can take um, because we've accepted that males as head coaches is the norm. Um, so males have 
double the um, job opportunities within male athletics and within female athletics because women make up less than 3% of those leadership roles. Um, they get to tap into both. But whereas a woman, she only rarely gets to tap into the female side of that and she can't cross over to the male side of things. So, so there are a lot of barriers that prevent women from breaking into the institution, um, but there's just a huge lack of representation, which I think is the biggest thing. Um, because if you don't see someone doing it, um, so if you don't see a woman doing it, then you don't really feel like you can see yourself doing it yourself. And I think that that would be the biggest thing. So to follow up with your challenges that you faced during your research or what you found, do you find that fewer challenges from women in the past? And if so, are there any new ones that you found? It was actually interesting because I read an article from 2011 who evaluated all the barriers and then they recently just did one um, in 2022 that also evaluated the barriers and I thought that was super interesting so I was so glad that I came across that and they are all the same. Nothing has gotten better so far. Um, There is some progress. We are seeing more women come into leadership roles but they still are facing that backlash um, of barriers when they do go into the roles. Um, So we're really not seeing any progress and movement along that, um, which is frustrating to say, but hopefully as we um, continue to research and bring more awareness to this, then we can create um, a more positive and healthy environment for all women across all athletics, especially within leadership roles. So thank you so much for being here again from me, Fred and Gray. Like we truly appreciate you being here and your stories and your voice really matters to us. So Again, we just wanted to say thank you so much. And yeah, that wraps us all up. So thank you so much, guys.